I'll be reading from Genesis 1, verses 20 through 31. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thank you, Allie, for reading. It's hard for me to know if it's what I feel is accurate, but it does seem like there are more discussions in our world, maybe than ever before, about what it means to be human. Maybe that's because our world is changing. Quite possibly, it's because so much in our world seems confused. We're not sure where things are going, but just regularly, we are being brought to the question of what does it mean to be human? Technology brings that question on some fronts, whether it's artificial intelligence or virtual reality. What does it exactly mean to be human? I think we are headed into a lot of people start school this week. And we recognize that students, I mean, it breaks our heart, doesn't it? But students will treat other students many times in dehumanizing ways. But what does it mean to be human? I think of all the political issues and all the social issues today, so many of these certainly focus in on what does it exactly mean to be human, whether it's the subject of disabilities and how do we value every person, subject of abortion, when does human life really begin, whether it's medicine, conversations about opioid epidemics or vaccines, whether it's subjects of prejudice, racism, how will we treat others? And do we look at others and somehow feel superior because of an ethnicity or a race? What about abuse when a human being decides it's okay to exploit another human being? What about the environment without our roles as humans in this 
on this planet? What about sexuality? What are our bodies, our human bodies designed for? What about gender? What about e equality? What about the differences between a man and woman? What actually defines a man? What actually defines a woman? Does God have anything to say about what it means to be human? I'm positive he does. And it goes right back to Genesis 1. You know, Genesis 1, you can go a lot of places. A lot of books have been written. I looked at a lot of them this week that have been written on the book of Genesis, on the subjects of Genesis. There are themes in which themes that are introduced that are discussed all throughout the rest of Scripture and certainly all throughout the rest of learning and understanding the Bible. We've tracked with those themes. But it's very easy, and we said this from last week, and I want to say it again. It's very easy to sometimes get our eye off the focus, and the focus is God who is the creator. So we're really working hard for all the questions we could ask and answer on the book of Genesis. We're looking really hard to answer, like, what is Genesis 1 and 2, what does it say about God? What does he do? What is he like? We read about him. How do we get to know him? And that is the series title. It's Knowing God. We're zeroing in on specifically day six. But even as we zero in on what it means to be human in God's image and God's likeness, we're looking at what does this say about God? I don't, of course, mean to insult anyone's intelligence by saying, of course, Genesis 1 is about God, but, but we could forget. And so... I want to make sure our attention is drawn there. I'm really, really confident that the passage of Scripture we're looking at today, if we internalized its truth, actually would make a difference in the rest of your day, the rest of your week. I mean, I'm not grandstanding here, over-promising here. I think if we really bought into what is being said in Genesis 1, it would change our outlook on this semester, on this year. I want to divide this up into a few ways for us to think through. And these are just some divisions of uh, a text where there are a lot of different places we could go. But I want to look at exactly what does it mean to be human. And maybe phrase it in the kind of if you ever, then I want you to take a look at some of these dimensions of what it means to be human. So the first one that I want you to see from the text here is this, if you have ever felt less than. If I could put it that way, if you have ever felt less than, I want you to notice the distinction and the dignity that God gives humans. I am going to use the letter D. It's not to be cute. It is to like embed some things that maybe if it helps you remember it a little bit more, I think it'll be worth it. If ever you felt less than, and I want you to notice the dignity, the value, and the distinction, the differentiation that God makes when it comes to humans. Again, we're focusing on God, and this passage does start much like the other days of creation and the other items of creation. We have God speaking, have a normal sequence, so nothing new here. Nine times in this chapter, maybe more, it says, and God said, and God said, and God said. Here, though, it is introducing something very, very different. God is saying different things in different ways. So look at verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. That's different than anything that's been said in Genesis 1 and all that God has created. There is, first of all, an us there. An us. God is speaking of himself and says us, which is a little bit challenging in Genesis because Genesis 1 and 2 will really go back and forth 
At times, God is referred to in the singular. It's he or God. And, it's, and yet here we have God saying, let us, and it's more than one. There's all sorts of, as you can imagine, all sorts of thoughts on what that is. Of course, many people would naturally see the Trinity there, which is totally right to go there in our minds because Genesis 1-2 talks about the Spirit of God hovering, so we know the Spirit's there. John 1 and Hebrews 1 is going to tell us, Hebrews 11 is going to tell us, that Jesus, the Son, the Word, made everything. Some go, well, I mean, we're in Genesis, and Jesus has not been born in human form, so how could Moses have written about the Trinity? So maybe it's the heavenly court God is addressing that angels and everybody around him, and I think that's plausible, but I have to at least assume, here's where I land, I have to at least assume God is preparing us for the Trinity if it's not explicit. He's at least preparing us that it will be okay for us to talk about God as one and okay for us to, and actually right for us to understand God in three persons, Father, Son, Spirit, all working together in creation. Let us make, it's different and notice there's also something different here as you read, let us make man in our image. There's, there's God, this is, this is different sort of language. God is creating directly. So you can go to other days and God says, let there be light. And there was light. Let there be. Other places he'll say, let the earth bring forth or let the waters like bring this. But not here. Seems very personal to God. Again, speaking to the dignity and the value, the distinction, this is different. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's even different because so often, and even as Ali was reading, I heard, and you probably heard as well, the phrase, according to its kind, according to their kind. It's said in verse 11, verse 12, verse 21, verse 24, verse 25. I count 10 times it's said, according to its kind, according to its kind, but not human beings. It isn't just kind of the standard God made, Humans, according to their kind, they'll reproduce. It's not that. It is something different. God makes humans in his own image. He says, let us make man in our image. The word man is also a proper name in other places. It's Adam. It's the word for mankind, but it's also kind of does double duty for sometimes a single individual and sometimes humanity. And humans are going to be different. They're going to be distinct. Dignity is going to be conveyed on them. We're going to be made in the image of God. I don't know what uh, annoying habits you have. I don't know what features of your appearance or your personality you'd like to see changed. But I do know this, God made you in his image. We relate to the earth. We were made to live on this planet. Science will tell you that. There's a relationship with, we have with the earth. And even if you looked at our DNA and you got into biology, you would see, like, in lots of ways, there's similarities between us and other, other mammals. Yeah, certainly. And yet, God wants you to know, as much as you live off the earth, as much as you may resemble and have common features and traits with the animal kingdom, there is something very, very different about humans. 
We're made in his image. Every one of us is a part of his creation. We're distinct. Being made in God's image and likeness, so those are words that get a little bit challenging. Part of it is because you, the Bible, and you know this, but the Bible isn't written as some sort of dictionary where like if we want to find out what image of God means, we just go to the I section and look up image, or if we want to know what likeness is, we find our way to the L and look up likeness. It isn't like that. It's conveyed over stories and wisdom literature and letters and historical records. There's all sorts of things like this that the Bible gives us. So we have to try to understand that through context and comparing scripture with scripture. But just because it's difficult doesn't mean we're totally clueless as to what image means. Image and likeness has to reflect some way in that it's connected to the original. And we, and we can do this, like we can do this mentally. We know, even yesterday, so I was at men's breakfast and I pulled out my phone to show some pictures of my kids. And I could pull those out and say, you know, here, here are my kids and someone could go, that's not your kids. And they would be right in that, of course, that's not them breathing and that's not, that's not humanly speak, that's not, we get it. And yet that is, that's my kids, so... There's an image and there's something that reflects that, that in some ways, of course, we're going to speak to it as like there's some reflective, some tendencies, some things that represent this person. And so if we keep that in mind, and we think about image in the Bible, often the image, images are used actually in a negative context. In other words, like, yeah, don't make any images. Don't make any stone statues. I have to think God says that because he's already, he's already given us his image in human beings. He says, there's no need. As a matter of fact, the second commandment says, don't make any carved image. Don't make any graven image. That's not the way you're going to worship God, not through that, because God's already made his image, human beings. But this idea of image and likeness, I won't, man, I could recommend seven books on this, and I tried to skim through them this week and try to understand I think there's some major categories that people understand image and likeness. I think it's important for you to understand how do we resemble God? So some will say, you know, image of God is mainly about like our rational or our reasoning capabilities. That's how we image God. That's what this image, that's how we reflect him. So if it's not stone statue, maybe as humans, I mean, God, God decides. God has moral decisions that he makes. God deliberates. Let us do this. And so humans like we do that, of course not to the level of God, but we do resemble God in this ability to have rationality, to reason. Others will say, no, no, it's not so much that, but it's we image God in that we rule. We have ruling capacities. So certainly that's in the context of Genesis 1 when it says human beings are going to exercise dominion or rule or subdue the earth. We, we function. I mean, we have a commission. We rule as God. Of course, God does it an infinitely different degree than us, but in this way, we do represent him. And, and it's interesting in this idea of ruling, kind of ruling in God's place, often in, in cultures, the king was seen as the image of God. Nobody had a problem saying the king was the image of God. But actually, the Bible doesn't say that just kings and queens are the image of God. This is all of humanity. I think this is some of uh, C.S. Lewis in books of Narnia where he talks about you know, these kids that are kings and queens. Could this be a, a hint of what C.S. Lewis is getting us to, to recognize, yes, we have a ruling capacity because we image God. Others will say, no, it's not so much reason, it's not so much ruling, but it's, it's really about relationship. See, God, in the beginning, was God the Father, Son, and Spirit, and God 
Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father, and the Father loved the Spirit, the Spirit gave glory to the Father. I mean, in that capacity, we have been made in reflection of God in that we are made for a relationship. We're hardwired for it. As a matter of fact, you track this word in Genesis, the word likeness. It'll actually say father and son, how they, they have a likeness for each other. Other places in Scripture say we are God's children. We have a likeness. We bear his image. He's conveyed something on us. I don't know exactly which one seems like dials in more to you. A grace could be made for each one or, or all. Whatever it is, that is saying you are distinct. You are different, and that, that puts dignity in you. Coming back to Genesis 127, tells us that God created man in his own image. And I want you to know, like, verse 27 slows it down, emphasizes it. I mean, I think it's a beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry. It's not just that. Slows it down to make sure we don't miss this. The word created is three times. Image is referred to several times. And it slows it down long enough, long enough for us to also realize being made in God's image means we are in his image as, according to verse 27, you see it there, as male and female. As male and female. Different and working together. Which, by the way, is almost all of Genesis 1 has this idea of pairs of things presented that complement each other whether it's creator and creation, heaven and earth, light and darkness, day and night, evening and morning, waters above, waters below, dry land and waters, sun and moon. When God puts his image on humanity, he does so in such a way, I want you to see those words, male and female, both of you bear my image. Sometimes it to read Genesis 127, to read that last word, male and female, he created them, seems like you're reading something controversial these days. It's almost as if to say something basic like that the cells of your body are coded in such a way, genetically coded, to be male or female. You almost are saying that feeling like, do you have to play defense when saying that? Bombarded with different understandings here. We're bombarded with what gender is fluid and it's kind of a social construct and it's non-binary and it's, gender's kind of a choice and it's a spectrum and Hebrews 127 says, no God created very distinctly male and female. To say it isn't to be bigoted, I check my heart with clear conscience we can be loving with those who disagree and see the world differently, see humans differently. I'd go even further than say we can be loving. I'm, I'd say we must be loving. We're called to love. But part of love does mean recognizing that we want people to flourish. We have something better to offer the world than, yeah, you do you. Something so much better. And so it ought to move our heart that like the love of God means that God's best is not at the end of someone changing their gender or some sort of gender reassignment. That's not God's best. We say so out of love. When you begin to disorder things 
the Genesis 1, I mean, we're going right back to the beginning. When you begin to disorder things that are ordered by God in a certain way, there's heartbreak and chaos and sadness and like, there's, there's nothing good at the end of that road. Which is why the loving thing is to say that nothing good. Which means, yes, we lean, lean in. Yes, we, we never should hate. And surely we should never dehumanize. And God forgive us where we've treated people less than. We're talking about image bearers here. And of course we pray and of course we love and we hope and we plead and we pray some more and we walk with friends and we walk with family members and we, we talk and we discuss how to do this well, how to do this wisely but we also listen loud and clear. We're understanding the creation through the lens of what God says, not through what someone made 100 years ago or five minutes ago or 3,000 years ago. We're hearing God speak to ordering things. I, listen, I don't want you to believe what God has spoken clearly about male and female just because a preacher said it because a tradition says it. I want you to read the words for yourself and you decide, do I believe this? Do I believe this? Do I believe God's telling the truth with how God created this world? There's a distinction and a dignity. And this, these aren't theoretical concepts. I know that because I'm at a church with people. This is far more than just theoretical concepts, bearing God's image. It's far more than just something like, oh, theologians can argue about and try to determine that direct meaning. Actually, no, the fact that people are bearing God's image motivates a ton of people to go pursue foster care and adoption because they really do believe children are made in God's image, every single one of them. It's why we love every life that's conceived. We're pro-life before that child's born. We're pro-life after that child's born. We're pro-life at the end of life where I'm grateful for those that work in, in hospice fields and care for image bearers who maybe days are numbered here on this earth, but God is going to transform their body into a glorious body. God cares about humans. That's why we have a certain view of racism and prejudice, why we don't look at other image bearers. How could we decide and look at other image bearers and go, because you're different than, because you have a different race, a different ethnicity, different features that somehow one superior to the other. How would we ever do that if we believe everybody bears God's image? That's why we look at people who are disabled or maybe it's well said differently abled or maybe are given some sort of diagnosis or placed on some sort of spectrum. Many of you know like this is super personal to me. I have a sister that's over 50 years old that has never said one word who is absolutely made in the image of God. So she hasn't said one word, but I think of J.D. and I think of the smiles and the random times she'll squeal and just her presence. And what would our family be without her? And it's a reminder embedded into my family structure. Every person, every human being, is many image of God. Let's keep working here. Yes, it's uh, distinction and dignity. I hope you're convinced of that. But if you've ever wondered about, not just if you've ever felt less than, but if you've ever wondered about your purpose, I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice what I'm going to call the destiny and dominion that God gives humans. So it's like you have a point and there's a, a reason why you're here. There's a destiny 
that God has designed you to fulfill. And that can sound romantic and idealistic, and I'm not trying to do my best impression of a TED Talk and, or, or some sort of self-help or prop you up emotionally. I just want you to appreciate again what God is saying about human beings like you and me, that we have a destiny and God has given us dominion. And a lot of this is going to be picked up next week. So I won't spend a ton of time here, but I do want you to see Genesis 1.28. Look at Genesis 1.28 where it says, God bless them. When God blesses, it's for a purpose. It's to fulfill a goal. It's to give some sort of capacity Like it's the blessings of heaven localized right here on earth and God is giving capacity to do what he's created you to do, to be what you are meant to be, to function as you are meant to be functioned. God has put his blessing on you. So what is that for? It's to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill. Just like the water was filled with sea life and just like the air is filled with all sorts of things that fly, you are meant to like take the beginning of creation and fill it out to be fruitful, to expand. Well, certainly that means to make more people. And again, I go back to God created male and female. Wasn't it wise of God? As a matter of fact, Greg Allison, who wrote a great book on just humanity, on what it means to be human, says this in um, his book called Embodied. Speaking of male and female, he says they're able and obligated to carry out the mandate to build society because of and only because of their complementary genderedness. I can't recommend the book highly enough, but it is pointing us to that God is going to wire us in a way where we're able to fulfill this command. And certainly that means bringing more children into the world. I got a picture of uh, a young baby, new life born into our congregation. Yesterday, a, a church family had a baby and And yet I think about all the other ways that human beings bring life into and fill this earth. If you've ever wondered about your purpose, notice the destiny and dominion God gives humans. We're actually told in this passage to rule the earth, to subdue it, to exercise dominion over it. Which is why lots of people in our congregation will have a, a space and they will make that space a home and they will... They will take materials and they'll they'll make that into something or while they'll have a garden that has flowers and fruit or something, vegetables, they'll make something. That's why many of you are in technology fields or science fields where you are taking what God has given you and you are ruling the earth, you're subduing it, making it give life and health and hope to people. It's why uh, there's so many in the academic field that are teachers and administrators in our congregation and homeschool parents. And I think of how you're teaching so that Other image bearers will be able to rule and take this earth as God gives it and be able to bring order out of chaos, to bring good from things that are are not good, to bring life from things that otherwise would would lead toward a a road of non-life. Filling the world. That's why we have artists and we have musicians who, again, are creative and God gives them as they image, as they reflect their subduing, they're taking control. And notice our lives are just filled with these sorts of things. The stewardship of this world, we don't ransack it because it's not ours. We don't pretend it's originally ours. We know it's God's. And God says, you take care of it. You take care of it. Sometimes it seems, again, so idealistic, but there's nothing like uh, 
a C.S. Lewis quote to just get to the point of things, and I love this one. It has to be one of my favorites by him. So when we're talking about image bearers, when we're talking about humans, Lewis would remind us there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. Their life is as ours as the life of an at. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors, everlasting splendors. And this does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. Yeah, we play, we must play, but our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. And it's not tolerance or indulgence which parodies love or flippancy as parody, or as flippancy parodies merriment. Maybe most appropriate even to this morning, next to the Blessed Sacrament, or we could say even communion or the Lord's Supper, next to that, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. You just never met an ordinary person. We're looking at kind of, if you've ever thought this way or felt this way, there's there's one more place I want to fill today because I think it's imbalancing all that we've learned. If you've ever tried to be autonomous, there's actually something I want you to pick up from Genesis 1 as well. And that is the dependence that God expects from humans. I think sometimes we get a little bit off track here. We think, well, yeah, of course we have to depend on God because we live in a messed up world. Genesis 1 is a perfect world. We live in a messed up one and in a messed up one where we rebel. Yes, we have to depend on God. We have to depend on Jesus to remake God's image in us. We have to depend on God to make all things new, new heavens, new earth. You know, in Genesis 1, they could just enjoy creation and they didn't have to depend on God. But actually, I want you to see that's not the case. Yeah, certainly we are messed up. Certainly we need God to save us and help us. Certainly we've proven we're not good on our own as humans. But I want you to see even at the beginning of creation, on day six, when God creates humans, he says this in verse 29, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed. You see, that's a gift. So God did not expect us to just be so autonomous and so independent that we had no need for him, even at the beginning, even when creation is perfect. It's, it's perfect in a way that even the first male and female are depending on God. God has given them every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. You're not going to create your own food. God's going to provide even there at the beginning of creation, do the male and female say, give us our daily bread? You're not meant to do it on your own. They need what God gives, and God gives it. And then I want you to notice how this passage closes, how this chapter closes at the end of this day in verse 31. It says 
and this is different again. You can read Genesis 1 for yourself again and notice how this is different than day 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Because on this day, it says, and God saw everything that he had made. Everything. And then it says, and behold. In other words, like, take a look. Notice this. Pay attention to this. Behold, our, our attention is drawn. Like, if you're reading, if you've kind of gotten to the rhythm, day five, day, and now we day six, it's like, hold up. Everything that God made, behold, take a look at it. And now he doesn't just say, it's good. But now he says, it is very good. I love the way one writer said it. Whatever we may think of the universe in which we live, the attitude of God is not in question. He looks at this world he's made and he says, it is very good. There's so much here. And as the week went on, I felt, I, I don't know that I can express to you how much of a burden I felt actually increasing as we got closer to today. How important it is to me for you to hear this. And it's important especially because I'm confident some of you do not think you're valuable. And it was so important for me that you would hear something today. Some of you feel devalued. You feel less than. And some of that reason is because someone somewhere dismissed you and had no time for you. Maybe somewhere someone called you stupid, called you something, and they meant it and you felt it and you've never been able to shake it. And maybe somewhere someone cheated on you, betrayed you. And maybe you look at yourself and you look different and maybe your family doesn't want you. Someone took advantage of you. Maybe you even abused your own body. Some of you struggle because of all that's happened in your life and you're tempted to harm yourself. Maybe you have something someone somewhere calls a disorder. And maybe there are voices in your head lying to you saying, it would just be better if you were gone. And then I thought of those who lost something that was so formative to their identity, lost someone so formative to their identity, you are who you are because they were in your life and then you lost that person. And, and the hole that leaves in your own value. And maybe you feel like you don't matter. And that's why it become, became really, really important for me to be extra clear today on the fact that you have value. You have value. This may be a life and death struggle for you, but you have value because, not because I say so, but because God created you and I'm happy to say so. I'm happy to remind you of that. You didn't just appear. And maybe today God has me here saying what I've said today so that you would just know from another human voice, because maybe there are too many voices in your head, but now you hear clearly God's voice through this human voice. And you hear, hear very clearly how much he loves you. Amen. And that you were made to have a connection with him. Don't sell him short. He is able to order circumstances so that you know in a moment, in this moment, that you are loved. 
that you are made with value, every single one of you. And it would bring me great, great joy. I can't think of anything that would bring me greater joy as a pastor than if everywhere people from Ogletown went, if we communicated God's love to everybody, if somehow there was some vibe around us, if somehow there was something that we gave off that everybody, God communicated very clearly, you matter, you value, I value you because God values you, you're created in his image. What if everybody got that from us? What if we lived a week giving off that impression? You matter, you're valuable, I care about you deeply. You have a function. You're meant to fill and subdue, subdue and rule. And I know this is hard. I have to do the, the mechanics here of knowing there are people that would love to fill and rule and subdue, and yet their bodies are breaking down. And they're like, why do I have another decade on this planet if life's going to look like this? And then again, again, I think of the endurance of some of the people in our congregation that maybe don't feel on top of the world the patience that they show. I say, you are filling the earth in something different maybe than the high-powered CEO somewhere. You're filling the earth with so many qualities that we need that may not ever be measured in a bank account. You are showing us what the fullness of God brings. And if that brings you to a place to say, Curtis, I hear I'm supposed to fill the earth and I have value in all this, but I, I frankly don't feel like I have what it takes. I don't have enough. I go like, yeah, absolutely welcome to Genesis 1. When God didn't make you as an independent creature. No, you depend on him. Of course you don't have enough. That's a feature, not a flaw. It's the way you were meant to be, to rely on him. So that maybe every day of your life, every day of my life, we go, Lord, I need you. I need you every hour, minute, second. I need you. I can't think of a better way to express our dependence on him than praying. So I do want to do that, and I want to pray for you and pray with you. Let me do that as we close our time together. Thank you, Lord, for the reminders here. These are more than just good things to remember. Uh, I thank you that we can live our lives in recognizing you have placed in us value and dignity You brought us to this world for a reason and a purpose. And I pray we would know that and be assured of that. And I pray we'd be able to communicate that to others. And where it is hard to determine that function and value, where it's a literal fight between life and death, I pray that you would bring life and hope. So thank you, Lord. We do trust in you. We depend on you for our next breath, certainly for our eternity. Our lives are in your hands. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.